The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. The following program is a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com to learn more about this and our other weekly storytelling programs. And become a patron today to show your support and get instant access to our extensive archive of downloadable ad-free tales of terror. Thank you for listening, and enjoy the show. Good evening. I'm storyteller Otis Gyre, and I ain't your grandfather. From where I'm from, we don't do bedtime stories. And if that's what you were expecting, you're in the wrong place. If it's terrifying tales you're after, well then, I've got just the thing. Get comfortable, settle in, turn off the lights, if you dare. Your night is about to get a whole lot darker. (laughs) Who needs sleep anyway? Good evening. You're listening to Scary Stories Told in the Dark. Welcome to Season 7, Episode 23. I'm your host, Otis Jiry, and in this episode, I'll be performing five spine-chilling tales for you, all of them from author Micah Edwards, about dental disasters, paranormal punishments, sinister senses, home-wrecking hauntings, and vengeful vegetation. You're listening to the standard edition of tonight's program, which contains the first three terrifying tales. If you'd like to show your support and enjoy an extended version of this and other episodes with twice the terror, visit simplyscarypodcast.com and click Patrons in the upper menu to sign up today. Thank you for your support. Now, it's time to take a walk together down the moonlit trail. So lock your doors, turn your lights down low, and settle in. The show is about to begin. (laughs) Our first tale tonight from Micah Edwards introduces us to a gentleman that led his entire life to believe that his rather strange hygiene habits are normal when they are far from it. Without further ado, I present to you The Little Dentists. I had my first trip to the dentist last week. I do mean first, too. I don't think I ever went growing up. 
Mom said baby teeth didn't matter since I was going to lose them anyway, and the little dentists would protect my permanent teeth perfectly well, so there was no point in throwing perfectly good money away for some huckster to look at my teeth and say they were perfectly fine. Mom had pretty strong opinions about dentists. She had pretty strong opinions about a lot of things, really. But I've been out and living on my own for a lot of years now. A few months back, I was thinking that it was probably worth going to a dentist at least once, just to make sure everything really was okay. So I read some online reviews and called a place nearby, and I had my first dental appointment last week. It was fine at first. I filled out some paperwork. They brought me back to a sort of awkwardly reclined leather chair. I sat around and played with my phone while I waited for the hygienist to come and join me. All is expected so far. The hygienist even complimented me on my teeth when I first opened up, saying how clean and white they were. So I was feeling pretty good. I'll be honest, I'd been a little worried that they were going to find all kinds of cavities and have to do root canals and tooth extractions. I didn't have any reason for thinking this. I've never had a problem with my teeth at all. But you know how it is. But then she started scraping at the base of one of my teeth with a little metal pick. She leaned forward, bringing the light closer, and squinted at the pick and then into my mouth. What's up? I asked indistinctly, speaking around her fingers. You've just got a little something at the base of your tooth, down in the gum line. It's not plaque, I don't think. She moved the pick away, and something glistened on the tip. It was a tiny sphere, perfectly round, no bigger than the head of a pin. Aren't those from the little dentists, I asked. The what? she asked. The little dentists, I repeated. She gave me a look of confusion, and I realized that she hadn't just misheard me. She had no idea what I was talking about. I was embarrassed because I thought maybe it was just some stupid childhood name for them that everyone else had grown out of using, and I never had because I never went to the dentist, so I tried to explain. The cleaners, like the little mouth things that go between your teeth, Flossing? she asked. That wouldn't be in your gum line like this, even if it did leave anything behind. And you wouldn't get anything more than a piece of string anyway, nothing like this. There are a lot of them, she added, peering into my mouth again. It looks like they're all along the gums at the base of your teeth. She poked around a bit more with the pick, scraping a few more of the tiny jellied dots free. I didn't bother to correct her about the floss, because obviously I wasn't talking about floss. It seemed like she legitimately didn't know about the little dentists, the things that live in your mouth and clean your teeth. And I knew that not everyone had them. My mother had told me not to talk about them growing up, that not everyone would receive them when they started getting their adult teeth, and it was rude to brag about them. But it never occurred to me that someone working in a dentist's office might not know. The hygienist went to fetch the dentist, and I figured that he'd set her straight. But when he came in, he seemed just as puzzled as to what she'd found. I really think you just got an egg, I told them, and they both turned to look at me. Have you been eating caviar? the dentist asked. No, a dentist egg. Whatever, you know what I mean. Seriously, have you not heard of these? You've never had a patient with the little dentists? The dentist shook his head. I have no idea what you're talking about. They're like cleaner shrimp, I guess, only for people. They live in your gums and come out to clean up food and plaque. He was still staring at me like I was talking nonsense, and I was starting to get annoyed. Look, get your magnifying glass or whatever, and come take a look for yourself. They can't be that hard to find. They come out all the time. I see them. I'm sure you can find one. You're telling me that you think you have worms living in your mouth. I'm telling you that I do have worms living in my mouth. I can't believe you don't know about this. Look, just find one. Maybe I'm explaining it badly or something. 
The dentist shook his head, but he began carefully poking around in my mouth. Back by one of the molars, I felt a little dentist shift, the small tickling sensation they always cause along my gums. Go to the back, I told the dentist, the one with the tools. He peered in, then suddenly recoiled, exclaiming, What is that? I rolled my eyes at him and gestured to my mouth, trying to keep still to avoid disturbing the little dentist so this so-called professional could take a look. Carefully, he leaned back in, using a pair of tweezers to pull it forth. It was longer than I expected, taking several seconds of steady pressure to slide free from my gum. I always thought of the little dentists as, well, little, but clearly they kept more of themselves coiled up and out of view than I'd expected. This one measured five or six inches long, although it was no thicker than a string. It coiled its body around the tweezers, unhappy to be out in the air. The dentist poked at it cautiously with his gloved hand, watching it move. I've never seen anything like this. You thought these were... Ouch! The dentist suddenly shook his hand, sending the tweezers and the little dentist flying into the sink to clatter into the drain. The dentist ignored this, instead stretching out the latex to peer at the glove covering his hand. Everything all right? I asked. Yes, I, I just... It's nothing. It's fine. Tell me more about these worms. You've always had them? I started to get uncomfortable. It wasn't ever exactly taboo to talk about the little dentist. I'd just never done it, is all. And the dentist's tone was making me feel like a lab experiment. It was becoming pretty clear that these were not common, and that maybe my mother had undersold it a bit when she told me that not everyone got to have them. Yeah, I said, shrugging. Basically. I need to get another one, he said, reaching for my mouth again. Whoa, hey! I pushed his hands back, leaning away. I can't feel any more out right now. You can't just go digging for them. Let me look, he insisted. No. No, look, I don't even know how many there are. You've taken out some of their eggs. You took one of their dentists. Just maybe cool it, huh? Look, I'll come back another day and you can get one then. Fine, said the dentist, though his impatience was clear. Tomorrow. I was thinking more like next month, or at least next week, I said. He shook his head. This is an amazing opportunity, an amazing discovery. Please, tomorrow. I can use the time to get ready anyway. I agreed just to be able to get out of there. He followed me to the front desk and insisted that the receptionist clear a spot for me in his schedule. I saw him reading my information over her shoulder and I knew that if I didn't show up, he'd probably end up calling or even coming to my house. I felt kind of trapped, but I didn't really know what to do. The next day, though, I got a call from the dentist's office asking me to reschedule. The dentist was under the weather, they said, and wouldn't be in that day. And then, two days after that, I got a mass distribution email from the dentist's office announcing his unexpected death. They stressed that his illness had not appeared to be viral in nature and that no reason patients should be concerned. I'm not concerned. It's pretty clear that the little dentist didn't much like being hauled out of his home like that. He might have been a tiny little thing, but he wasn't defenseless. As for me, I think the only dentists I need are the little ones I can feel sliding over my tongue right now. I'm done with the full-sized kind. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. 
Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. It's time to turn off the lights and turn on the dark. <laughs> this is Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. Good evening, listener. I'm Steve Taylor, your host to a horror anthology podcast where we ask you to depart from your safe perception of reality to descend with us into the frightening depths and dark corners of twisted imaginations. With carefully curated original tales of terror each week, our deepest rooted fears are brought to the forefront by a diverse cast of voice talent and masterfully eerie sound design that bring these stories to life. We'll give you tales of unnerving encounters with the occult, harrowing hauntings, and sinister seances that show just how darkness knows no bounds. If you're like us here at Chilling Tales and enjoy feeling your stomach filling with dread as dastardly demons dance in your head, make sure to check out Chilling Tales for Dark Nights on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts to subscribe now to always be the first to enjoy the horror show. I hope you enjoyed The Little Dentist, as written by author Micah Edwards and performed by yours truly. If you enjoyed that first tale and would love to read more from tonight's very talented feature author, you can help support them by visiting simplyscarypodcast.com slash Edwards. That's simplyscarypodcast.com slash Edwards, spelled E-D-W-A-R-D-S. And you'll be redirected to the author's Amazon profile, where you can buy his books today, including his collection of the many tales he's written over the years, entitled Fright Bites, as well as the many anthologies he's been featured in over the years. And just so you're aware, as an Amazon associate, a portion of your purchase made via visiting that link comes back to help us support this show, as well as the author. So don't delay. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com slash Edwards and pick up any of the wonderful titles available on Micah's page today. You won't be sorry you did. And by all means, if you enjoy what you read, don't forget to leave him a five-star review and a kind word and let him know you heard about him here on this show. Thanks again for your support of this program and of tonight's featured author. Up next, we've got a second tale of terror for you, courtesy once again of Mr. Edwards. In it, we'll meet a pair of cemetery caretakers whose poor wages led them to make some rather life-or-death decisions. Without further ado, I present to you The Old Grave. I've read that your hair and fingernails keep growing after you die. Then again, I've also read that that's stupid, that actually what happens is that your skin contracts, making your hair and nails look longer. That one always seemed more reasonable to me. Dead is dead, after all. You don't keep on going after you're dead. You just go in the ground. I've had a lot of time to think about what happens when you're dead. I used to work in a graveyard doing groundskeeping stuff. That's everything from mowing the grass to filling in the graves to picking up the trash people leave behind. You'd think people would have more courtesy than to litter in a graveyard, right? 
Uh, you'd be wrong. People have no respect for others. It was mainly just me and J.R. working Everest Hill. It wasn't that big of a place, so the two of us, going full-time, kept it under control. I didn't see him much during the day, since we'd be off at opposite sites, trimming the bushes and what have you. But I saw him pretty much every night. See, me and J.R. didn't have a lot going for us. The job paid minimum wage, plus a quarter, an hour for every year you'd been there. So J.R. was making 11 bucks an hour, and I was pulling in just over nine. Take out taxes, and that leaves me pretty much firmly in food stamp territory. Heck of a place for a guy with a full-time, no-breaks job to be. People don't care about each other, like I said. So when people came to the cemetery to come cry over poor dead grandpa or whoever, no one stopped to think twice about whether the guy who kept everything looking nice was doing okay. If I'd screwed up and let vines grow over the grave, I guess they would have thought about me then, and I would have heard about it for sure. But as long as it was all kept up, they were more concerned about the dead than about the living. But J.R., he saw a way to turn that around. You've heard the phrase, you can't take it with you, I'm sure. Doesn't mean people didn't try, though. The way some of these people were dressed, you'd think they were going to a red carpet gala instead of a hole in the ground. Morticians dressed them to the nines, and decked them out in gold and jewels and stuck them in boxes that cost sometimes more than I made in a year. Then it's boo-hoo-hoo at the church, quick trip in the back of a hearse and one last cry at the graveside, and boom. The whole thing's under a few tons of dirt, never to be seen again. Mostly never, anyway. See, J.R. figured that if we could bury them, we could dig them up again just as easy. It's the same backhoe either way, so it's just a matter of whether you're putting dirt in or taking dirt out. Yeah, it was rough the first time we cracked open a coffin. I saw that body laying there all stiff and rotten, and the boat backed out. J.R., though, he just grinned up at me and said, Jackpot, man! Then he held up a watch worth more than my car, and I figured I could just about do this. After a while, it was easy. It was a real victimless crime, too. We took stuff that nobody ever knew was missing, and it made things a little brighter for us. I got a car that could pass inspection without me bringing the mechanic a case of beer. J.R. got himself a real nice grill, and we'd cook out some nights and toast to our luck. We still weren't getting rich, neither of us, but we weren't going begging either. Thing is, though, we started to kind of get used to the extra money, and Everest was only so big. We didn't have but so many new people every month, and J.R. and I were going through them faster than they were coming in. We started doing stuff to stretch it, to get more value. We cut off fingers when we needed to get rings free. J.R. started checking the old folks for gold fillings. We even started taking the coffins when they were fancy enough. My plan had just been to strip off the bronze and copper fancy fittings and see what we could get for the metal. But J.R. went and had a quiet word with the funeral home. Turned out we weren't the only ones looking to make a little extra profit. They bought the coffins off of us at 20% and sold them again at full value. The 80-20 split ticked me off a bit since we were doing all the work, but J.R. pointed out that it was way more than we'd get for the metal, so I shrugged it off and kept going. Even stretching it like this, though, we kept working our way further and farther back in the cemetery. The older graves were less likely to have good loot, but when they did, it was a total haul. We'd have to dig up sometimes 20 or 30 graves before we found uh, one that wasn't just bones, but that 31st one would be like someone had just dumped a jewelry box onto a skeleton. The stuff wasn't always easy to sell, though, 
And so, where this used to be a once-in-a-while thing to get some extra cash, eventually I was seeing J.R. every night, like I said. We had to keep at it because we never knew what nights would be busts and what nights would be earners. And we went farther and farther back, digging up older and older graves. We were back in the oldest part of Everest when things went wrong. I'd just dug out the dirt and was climbing out of the backhoe to hold the light for J.R., He was climbing down into the hole to clear away the final dirt and open the lid. He seemed gung-ho like always, but as I walked over, something felt wrong. Fresh graves smell a bit like mud, a bit like rot, and a bit like medical stuff, the way hospitals smell. Old graves just smell like dirt, but this smelled like something rank wafting up from the open mouth of a cave. Something whispering to your nose about living and dying forever in the dark. It stopped me in my tracks for just a second, and I think that pause saved my life. J.R. either didn't smell it or didn't care, because he was down in the grave and prying the boards off that coffin. I heard the boards crack, and I heard J.R. say, Yeah? The next thing I heard was screaming, An awful, blood-curdling yell. Get off me! J.R. shouted. I saw his hand scrambling at the top of the grave. I started to reach for him. I swear I did. But then something dark whipped out of the grave behind him and lashed around one of his hands. I heard his fingers break as that thing ripped his hand backward and his screaming pitched even higher. I held my light up as high as I could and for just a second... I got a clear view of what was in that grave. The only thing visible of J.R. was his hand, the one that hadn't been grabbed. That was still reaching for the sky, fingers grasping frantically at nothing. The rest of him was just lost in a tangled, seething mass of bloody, filthy, matted hair. It was hair, I know it was. I've tried to tell myself it was anything else, some kind of animal or anything. But I know what I saw. It was hair, a giant writhing ball of it, moving all on its own. It grabbed J.R., and when it saw me looking, it sent tendrils out to grab me, too. I yelled and hurled the light at it, and then I did what I had to do. I leaped back into that backhoe, and I shoveled every pound of dirt exactly back where it had come from. I poured it all back in, slammed it all down tight, then drove the backhoe back and forth over it a few times to be sure. Then I sat there panting until my heart settled back down to normal and I was sure there was nothing moving in that grave beneath me. I quit the job after that. I worked odd jobs, moved a few times, generally just changing stuff about my life until I finally quit waking up with nightmares. I always sort of hoped I'd get to a point where I could tell myself that I imagined it all, that maybe I was drunk or high or something. But there's just too much reality in that image of J.R.'s hand desperately reaching out for help, and I don't think I'll ever get it out of my head. I've been settled down for a few years now. I've got a little one-bedroom apartment that I rent, walking distance from my job at the gas station. It's a nice enough place, and the landlord cares about it, so there aren't a lot of issues. So I wasn't real worried when the drain started backing up the other night while I was taking a shower. If it was anything major, I knew he'd be out in a day or so to fix it. But I stuck my fingers in there to feel around, see if I could save him a trip. I've been in this place for a few years, like I said. I live alone, and I've got short hair. The shower's never backed up before. But what I pulled out of the drain was a thick clog of long, tangled hair. The shower was backing up again last night. I think it's time to be moving on again. I hope you enjoyed The Old Grave by author Micah Edwards as performed by yours truly. Up next, we've got a third dose of darkness for you, once again from Micah Edwards. 
In it we'll meet a gentleman, advanced in years now, recalling his experience from his younger days, when he volunteered to be a guinea pig in a science experiment gone horribly wrong. You know what they say about not being able to outrun your past? Well, I'll leave it at that. Without further ado, I present to you a fear of silence. Back in 1956, I signed up for a psych experiment in college. They had a float tank, one of those sensory deprivation chambers, and they needed people willing to be closed up in it. Easiest experiment in the world, as far as I was concerned. All they wanted was for me to lay in the water for an hour, and they're going to pay me five dollars? This was the 50s, mind you, so that's like getting 40 Maybe $50 today. I signed up in a heartbeat. So did half the campus, judging by the line when I got there. But I got lucky in the lottery, and I was chosen. Well, it seemed lucky at the time. At first, it really was the easiest money I ever made. I'd come in three times a week, put on a specially wired wetsuit that the eggheads had made, and climbed into the tank. They'd hook me up, close the lid, and I'd just float there for an hour. For the first few minutes, I'd find myself listening to the water and smelling the salt, but soon even those would fade out and I'd just be drifting. I know that sounds obvious, but I don't just mean in the physical sense. I'd come unmoored in there, completely detached from my surroundings and myself. Some of the other participants reported having visions, out-of-body experiences, but I never had any of that. I was always just gone. Not gone anywhere in particular, just gone. Sometimes it felt like they were opening the lid seconds after they closed it. Other times I swear that I'd been in there for years, even decades. I'd come out of those times blinking and shocked to find that I was still a young man. I felt I'd lived lifetimes and just somehow couldn't quite remember them. I was never asleep. Their wetsuit doohickeys checked on that. Alpha waves or something. I don't know. I did fall asleep a couple of times in the early sessions, and both times I was startled awake by what sounded like a cannon firing right in my head. That was someone knocking on the outside of the tank. Let me tell you, I don't care how deep a sleeper you think you are. The way that tank reverberated, it could wake the dead. I never knew what they were recording or what they were looking for. They'd ask me questions when I got out, but they're always open-ended. You know, tell us about your experience, things like that. Then they just listened while I talked, pencils scratching and big cameras rolling. They were big budget in those days. It must have been some sort of government grant. They never really got their money's worth out of me, in my opinion. I never had much to report in after the session. My experience was always the same. I was nowhere doing nothing. The only difference was how long I thought it had been. I dutifully told them each time. I felt like I was in there for thirty seconds. Felt like I was in there for 40 years. They wrote it all down every time and gave me my five dollars, so I was happy to keep coming back. Then, one day, it was different. I was in the tank. I was nowhere. I was really nowhere. And suddenly, I could sense something else. I could see it, but not with my eyes. My eyes saw only blackness, yet I had the impression of something else there. If sight were speech, then my eyes didn't have the words to explain whatever this was. I felt it in the same confusing way. It touched me, an exploratory grass, but not in any physical sensation. I felt ideas, felt them as textures and pressure. I wasn't equipped to understand them that way, but somehow I felt they were negative, and I heard it. I heard it with my ears, the sound of it. It scratched and it tore, 
little ripping noises like a metal rasp being dragged across the carpet. It dragged a heavy, wet sound that spoke of rotten ooze and putrefaction. It rattled, the sound of cicada husks, stirred by the wind, the noise of an old man's dying breath. All this I heard, the only sounds ever to reach me in the tank, and quiet though they were, and lost though I was, I heard them gradually increasing in volume as they grew closer, ever closer. I was nowhere. I was no one. Yet this thing saw me, knew me. It was coming toward me. I could almost see it in the blankness where there should have been blackness. I could almost feel it in the ideas running over my skin, and I could hear it every blasphemous noise it made. I do not know why my ears perceived it so perfectly, but every sound it made imprinted on my brain there in the dark. And then suddenly, I was gasping and floundering in water, a rectangle of light before my eyes. The hatch was opened, one of the experimenters offering me a hand out. He saw my confusion, my disorientation, and asked, "'Did you see something?' That day they got their money's worth. In the light, it seemed silly, a, a passing fancy, but I told them of what I'd heard and experienced. I replicated the noises as best I could, but they were never meant to be made by a healthy human throat. Maybe I should have quit that day, but by the time I returned three days later, I'd convinced myself it was nothing but a nightmare and I wasn't about to give up my meal ticket over something so simple. So back into the tank I went. Again it came, while I was lost in the black. I heard it again, its terrible, broken carapace, scraping along the ground, dragged along by countless skittering legs. I knew it came for me, and bodiless. I tried to run. I had no way of knowing if I moved or not, though and steadily it closed on me through whatever passed for distance here. It was close enough for me to smell its hunger when I found myself blinking in the light again, my heart pounding. Something's got you spooked. I remember the experimenter saying to me, your heart's going a mile a minute. In the post-interview, I told them of the noises again, and they showed me a surprise. They had put a microphone in with me this time, to try to identify the source of the sounds. They played back the tape, and we turned up the volume and held our breaths. I expected to hear nothing, but thought that perhaps the microphone would detect something mundane, some rustling from the lab outside that I'd blown into nightmarish proportions. And then, to my shock, it came. The softly shredding metal, the whispering tongues... The graveyard rattle, quietly, distant, but approaching. There! I cried, pointing at the tape as if I could identify the sound with my finger. The scientist looked at me quizzically. I frowned, for the sound had stopped. Back up the tape, I told him, and they did so. I listened intently and whispered, There! There! as the noises started again. I haven't restarted the tape yet. The assistant told me, looking bewildered, and I looked up to see that it was true. The wheels were still the tape unmoving. Yet in the silence, I could hear that dreadful creature moving, hunting me. I looked from face to face. No one but me seemed to hear it, and when they spoke to ask me to describe it, I could not hear it either. In every silence, though, it resumed always far away, as if it had lost the scent in the noise. But when the silences wore on, always, inexorably dragging closer. I laughed it off that day. I told them that the dark must have gotten to me, and that I would be back the next week for the regular session. Perhaps I even meant it then, for as long as we were talking, everything was normal. But when I left the building to walk home... I could hear its subtle pursuit in every pause. I sang to myself out loud on the way home. I clapped my hands in the pauses where I breathed, 
and kept the noise going. When I reached my dormitory, I turned on my ceiling fan and collapsed onto my bed. My heart was racing, but with the steady whir of the fan above me, the unearthly noises had ceased. Slowly, my heart calmed and I relaxed. By bedtime, I may even have convinced myself that things were fine. Certainly, I was relaxed enough to go to sleep, a spinning fan maintaining a soft sentinel above my head. In the middle of the night, I awoke with a blood-curdling shriek. I could feel the horrid, uncanny touch upon my skin, hear the rustling like a field of corn, dry and rotted on the stalks, swaying in the wind. It was here, in the room, upon me. I shouted, babbled, anything to drive it back, flailed for the lights to chase back my fears. My roommate was out of his bed, tangled in the sheets, shouting, "'What is it? What is it?' "'The fan,' I cried. "'Did you turn off the fan?' "'It was cold,' he said, confused. "'Never!' I told him, desperately pulling the cord. "'Above me, my savior spun to life, "'white noise obliterating the silence. "'Never turn this off again.' "'I apologized the next morning, "'blaming it on a terror of the night, "'but reiterated my request about the fan.' He accepted my apology, but a few months later transferred rooms anyway, citing a desire for peace and quiet. For I had become a man of constant noise. I hummed to myself, tapped my fingers on desks during tests, clicked my teeth together when nothing else could be done. I played records constantly in my room, and I slept with the fan on every night. Technology has been a godsend for me. I spend more money than I could properly afford to have a television, that constant stream of noise. I bought eight tracks, home stereos, every loud gadget. I eagerly embraced the Walkman in the 80s, portable sound, and powered by batteries, those tiny lifesavers. I'd spent years in terror of power outages, killers of all electrical noisemakers. The Walkman could keep me going for hours, and finally I could breathe easily, when storms made the lights flicker. These days, aged though I am, I am a smartphone user like everyone else. My contemporaries laugh at my readiness to adopt the new technology, but for me it's a matter of life and death. I do not dare let the silence descend upon me. And yet I think I may soon have no choice. It's been twenty years since my hearing first started to fail. Fifteen since my first hearing aids. They've grown smaller and more powerful over the years, but technological advances are losing the race against my failing body. I can no longer hear the susurrus of the fan, my constant companion all these years. Conversations have grown muted, and even with my phone synced to my Bluetooth hearing aids and the volume turned high, my music gets quieter by the day. Yesterday, I sat alone in my house. My phone rebooted itself to install an update. In the silence it left behind, I heard shattered claws clicking greedily, something foul and pustulant, dripping in an open cavern, and a horrid sliding noise like raw meat being dragged across a grater. I hobbled to the kitchen and turned on the disposal the blender and the microwave, but even so it was just barely enough. I think soon all my efforts will be insufficient, and at last I will have nothing left but the silence. I hope you enjoyed A Fear of Silence by author Micah Edwards, as performed by yours truly. If you enjoyed the tales you've heard tonight, I'd like to remind you one last time that tonight's featured author has some amazing books available to purchase now on Amazon.com. That includes Edwards' collection of short horror tales entitled Fright Bites, as well as a number of anthologies he's been featured in over the years, featuring not just him, but 
dozens of other talented authors who can't wait for you to sink your teeth into their frightening fiction. To get your copies today, just visit simplyscarypodcast.com slash edwards. Once more, that's simplyscarypodcast.com slash edwards, spelled E-D-W-A-R-D-S, and you'll be redirected to Micah's Amazon page, where you can check out the books now. And if you decide to give any of this talented author's books a read, please consider leaving him a quality review and a kind word, and be sure to let him know you heard about him on this program and that Otis sent you. It would mean a lot to me. Thanks again for your support of this show and of tonight's featured author. Now, before we go, I'd also like to take a moment to thank you personally for joining me for this episode of Scary Stories Told in the Dark. If you enjoyed what you've heard on today's program, please take a moment to stop by our iTunes page or wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts and leave us a five-star review and a kind word. It makes a huge difference and would mean a lot to us. If you'd like to hear a premium extended edition of tonight's and all of our other episodes featuring twice the terror, visit simplyscarypodcast.com today and click the Patrons link in the menu at the top of the screen. You'll find yourself at chillingtalesfordarknights.com where you can purchase season passes for this podcast and our other quality storytelling programs. Or become a patron for as little as $5 per month and get access to our entire audio archive dating back to 2012, all of it ad-free. If you happen to use Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube, you can follow and subscribe to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights there, where you'll get all of our latest updates and new releases and have the chance to interact with us each and every week. You can subscribe to me on YouTube as well at the Otis Jiry channel, where you'll find releases of my series, Horror Storytime, dating back to 2014, and you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, too. Just search for Otis Jiry. Until next week, stay spooky and get some sleep, if you can. <laughs> Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Scary Stories Told in the Dark, a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcasts Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com today to learn more about our network and our other amazing storytelling programs. Tonight's program was hosted and its featured stories performed by yours truly, Otis Jiry. Selected stories have been adapted with the kind permission of their respective authors. Original music provided by Luke Hodgkinson and Jesse Cornett. Sound design and final mixing and mastering provided by executive producer and director Craig Groshek. Program's artwork and logo by David Romero. If you're looking for some fresh tales on a daily basis while waiting for the next podcast, check out my YouTube channel, The Otis Jiry Channel, and my extensive collection of narrated tales there. Simply search on YouTube by my name, and you'll find me. And don't forget to subscribe and press the bell notification icon to get my latest releases. Got a scary tale of your own that you'd like performed? I take submissions. Email it to me today at otis at simplyscarypodcast.com to have your terrifying tome considered for production in a future episode of this show. That's O-T-I-S at simplyscarypodcast.com. If you've enjoyed what you heard on tonight's program and are joining us on your favorite podcast app, subscribe to us to be sure you never miss an episode and leave a five-star review and a comment. Your feedback means a lot to me. You can also follow Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and yours truly on Facebook to connect anytime and get the latest updates on this and other programs and my channel. If you're listening on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel, do us a favor and hit the subscribe button and the bell notification icon for CTFDN as well to get more spooky tales from me and the crew 
and another episode of this program each and every Wednesday. And don't forget to hit that thumbs up button to tell us how we're doing and leave a kind word or a request. And don't forget to visit us at ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com and consider supporting the team by becoming a patron. In addition to helping us out, you'll get exclusive access to our audio archive and ad-free downloads of all your favorite stories, including those you've heard on this program. As for me, I'll be back next Wednesday with more terrifying tales to keep you up all night. But that's all right. Who needs sleep anyway? <laughs> Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now, all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot only 4% of universities in the U.S. are R1 research institutions, and Temple University is one of them. This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. visit